Hey everyone, this is Tony, and today I'm going to be doing a review of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, particularly because we were so lucky to be a part of Podcast of Foes, and I really wanted to be able to share some of the some of the lore and the monsters that I used for our Podcast of Foes and delve in them a little bit deeper. Now, I will say, so far, I've loved this book. I like planar travel, I like planar entities, and I like lore. I've always loved lore. And jumping into this, chapter one is The Blood War, which I'm absolutely fascinated by. Actually, one of the things that I've always been more interested in, over good and evil necessarily, but of course, I like good and evil, is law versus chaos. And just the fact of devils being this lawful evil group, this militant type of order, versus the utter chaos and anarchy that is the abyss and demons, fascinates me that it's been just this constant struggle between the two groups. The book itself really just delves in, giving you a taste of all of the different archdevils that rule the nine layers, talking about some of the other archdevils that exist within the nine hells, as well as jumping into the demon lords and the realms that they rule over. This part of the book is one that I particularly like, just because I've always been fascinated with intelligent enemies, cunning enemies, and charismatic ones. So jumping into devils and focusing on just what their mentality is in the grand scheme of things is really fascinating to me. One of the things I also really like about this is they give you a small quote from each of the Archdevils that gives you a real sense of their personality and how they view themselves and their machinations within the Nine Hells. On top of that, they deal with not only devilish cults, but demonic cults as well. Really jumping into kind of how you can add some flavor to some of the different cults that you might have throughout your world and some of the abilities that these different cults might have depending on the type of devil or demon that they worship. Also, they have tables, which is something that I actually really, really like. While I don't roll a lot on random tables, I do like to use them to give me some sort of inspiration on personality traits or on the build or makeup of a particular creature or force. And they have several different tables here in terms of personalities for devils, personalities for demons, titles that they might have, as well as boons that demons might give some of their favorite followers. Honestly, this is probably the chapter I've really just read over several times. I've always been really fascinated by the Blood Wars, honestly. After that comes the chapter on the elves, which really delves into their origins, how they've split and become other sub-races, essentially, like the Drow, the Shadar Kai, the Eladrin, really delves into how these different sub-races came to be and how the elven race kind of sees their own deities in their lives. Beyond that comes the dwarves and the history that they have, as well as just the mentality that they have, especially against one of their long-term enemies, the Duragar, and really delves into the mentality of like surface dwarves and Duragar. Past that come the Githyanki and the Githzerai, the endless war that they have with each other, and with the mind flayers that once ruled over them. These are utterly fascinating entities to me, and I've loved how they've been using the other podcasts of foes that are out there. It was really difficult for me to pick the creatures that I was going to focus on during our own episode of Podcast of Foes, as there were so many good ones, and they have several Githyanki and Githzerai in the book that you can look at and use in your own campaigns. Really something to check out, as well as the options for player characters to be one. Then the last chapter, for the first half of the book, by the way, is on gnomes and halflings, kind of their lifestyle, as well as their own deities. Next is the second entire half of the book, which is completely devoted to the monsters themselves, all of the foes. And I'm telling you, it took me hours 
to just even skim through this and try and come up with what I wanted to do for the Podcast of Foes episode. Looking through it, they have amazing monsters here. Just picking the few that I did was a real struggle. Now, one of the main things I wanted to do for Podcast of Foes specifically was I really wanted to focus on only the creatures in this book. I didn't want to delve you know, any more into like the monster manual and try and pull some of the creatures there. As much as it made sense for some of the enemies, I realized I just wanted to highlight these monsters, these enemies, these creatures in this book. Now, as I was skimming through it, one of the things that I thought was really cool, and something that's going to be part of the world of Ostia in Season 2, are clockworks. Now, there are actually two types of clockworks I decided to use for this, but there are a couple of others in the books, and it gives you options on how to tweak and kind of create your own spin on your own different type of clockwork here. The two I used were the Stone Defenders. So they're massive. They, when not moving and their shield arms are together, they just look like solid wall, part of their false appearance type thing. I actually have always liked creatures with false appearances. Makes them much more interesting to spring on a party, and it could be for good or for bad. I once had Galabdor, for example, kind of just hanging around as guards, and the party never realized up until the Deep Gnomes, you know, poke them out. <laughs> So this is why I kind of really like these creatures. They're only a CR4, so nothing too difficult, and I find them really interesting. They're magic resistant, they have immunity to so much damage, that's what makes them really difficult. So non-magical attacks are pretty useless. But they also have an intercept ability as a reaction that allows them to protect a creature within 5 feet of them, and they can give that creature a plus 5 to their AC against that attack. Of course the stone defender needs to be able to see the attack, but... A plus five to an AC off of a single attack is really impressive to me. So definitely seems like a favored of some wizards, maybe. Or you stick them near your really squishy allies. The other clockwork I used was the Oaken Bolter. It is essentially a massive ballista. It has the head of a dragon on it in the picture. I love the artwork, by the way. I've, I've loved the artwork of all the 5e books so far, and this is no exception. These are absolutely beautiful works of art, by the way. Again, this thing is a little bit tougher than the Stone Defender because it hits harder. It's got its lancing bolt, which it can fire twice. It can also fire a harpoon and essentially pull someone in. I wound up deciding to have these in because I wanted also a sense of where the world of Ostia is going. But also, these are really cool. Being able, essentially an automatic reloading, firing ballista. Just firing these lancing bolts. They deal 2d10 plus 4 damage on a hit. This CR5 thing will hurt. On top of that, they have an explosive bolt. It's a rechargeability, but just firing 5d6 points of damage in a 20-foot radius. Just a little minor fireball from this thing that recharges on a 5-6 through six roll. Now, going through the book also, one thing I did notice is there's a few repeat things, but they're from the actual modules. So stuff like the Demon Lords that were in Out of the Abyss that I ran are reprinted here. But I like that they kind of consolidated all of these different types of creatures from a bunch of the different modules into one book. Making it a lot easier, I think, overall. Rather than having me flip through Out of the Abyss to find some of the Demon Lords and then maybe jump to Curse of Strahd for a couple of enemies or jump into Prince of the Apocalypse for some elemental stuff. They have a lot of creatures in the book. They are really cool. I have wanted to use so many of them, and I am planning to, so I'm really excited about that. 
one other thing about the monsters that I really enjoyed is the fact that they are stronger. There are higher CRs than a lot of the other monsters in the monster manual, which is always kind of interesting to me. And I understand it because a lot more campaigns take place within that one through 10 level range. But I've had really good players and they always are able to take down things so much easier than I expected, to be completely honest. And rather than just beef up an HP or beef up an attack or maybe the damage too, I like kind of throwing monsters that they can clearly see are really powerful because a lot of times it makes them feel so much better when they're able to take them down. Even at a lower level, taking something down that's like a CR 10 for a level 7 party or a level 5 party in the case of Orenthal is to me, a lot of times so much more satisfying than just facing off against a CR 5 or 6 creature that you're supposed to be able to beat. But jumping back specifically into the monsters and into the meat of what was in Podcast of Foes, I have the devils, and it was really difficult to just pick the few that I did. Looking through it, I kind of wanted to give a taste of some of the lower CR creatures, which is why I decided to choose the Nuparibos. They're pretty straightforward. They do have resistances to non-magical damage, but they're blind after 10 feet, which make them a really interesting enemy. Also, they're nasty. They are absolutely disgusting. They have this entire like cloud of vermin around them that's constantly buzzing and stinging, and you didn't get to see it in Podcast of Foes because they killed them so quickly, but it's pretty nasty. You really should check these creatures out. To quote some of my players, they are even more disgusting to see in the picture than the way I described them. But they were always supposed to be the type of creature that the party took out pretty quickly. That's why I threw so many at them. Also, I gave them a fragmentation grenade, so that was a lot of fun. One of the other devils I used, the Maragon. So I thought about splitting this one up a little bit, but I realized it's only a one-shot for this. And the reason I was thinking of splitting them up is because they have a really special type of multi-attack. Now, usually they can only attack twice a turn. But if you notice in our Podcast of Foes episode, they attack three times. And the ability is if they have a devil of CR 6 or higher within 60 feet of them, they can attack three times per turn instead of twice. I kind of wanted to feature the differences between the two, like have one by itself and then one with the Orthon later. But it just made more sense to have two of them together as they're supposed to be guards. They also have, of course, damage resistances to things that aren't silvered and the super creepy metal masks that are bolted to their faces that are supposed to represent the layer that they serve on and their immediate masters. Now, I know most of my party was thinking I was throwing a spellcaster at them, and I really wanted to. Part of the problem is all the casters are way too strong. So instead, I wanted to throw something that had a lot of flavor to it, but wasn't too magical, and I was able to find the Orthon. Now, this thing to me is really cool it looks wise it's kind of a really big orc gray skinned it's got like this bandolier on it's got massive tusks but it's a bounty hunter it's devil's bounty hunters and i debated on what to feature the bounty hunter aspect of it like it was going after a particular kill that its master wanted or the fact that when it gets bored it just looks for a challenge now the reason i chose him specifically is he only gets one attack. He is a CR 10 monster. But in this one attack, he can do one of two things mainly. One is he's got a dagger with a bunch of poison on it. And two, he's got a crossbow with several different abilities that he can attach to it on a hit. On top of this, as a bonus action, he can just turn invisible at will. That I knew would frustrate the party to no end. 
But his particular attacks, especially with his crossbow, he has an acid arrow that deals a lot of damage on top of his normal 2d10 plus 3. And he's got the blindness arrow that anyone within 20 feet can just lose their sight, which can be really bad for some casters and most parties. The other ones per day that he has is his paralysis one, which deals a massive amount of lightning damage and can paralyze the target. The lightning damage, however, is automatic. The saving throw is just for the paralysis effect. So 4d10 lightning on top of 2d10 piercing is quite a bit of damage. So once per day, heavy hit. He's got a few others. One I decided not to use at all, which was our tracking one in order to follow a particular target. Since he wasn't being a bounty hunter at this point, it didn't make a lot of sense. Also, the party would notice as a bolt hit them. Another one I decided not to use was the entanglement arrow which can restrain a target, and anyone trying to free them can potentially get restrained as well. Massive, sticky, webbing-like substance that encompasses the target upon a hit. The last one I did wind up using was Concussion, which creates a sonic blast of thunder damage that hits everyone within 20 feet of the target. AoE attacks are great. So the last thing that an Orthon can do that I find really interesting is if it gets to 15 HP or less, it explodes. And everyone within a 30-foot radius of it needs to make a save or take 2d8 slashing and 2d8 fire damage as it blows up. Now, its weapons are completely incinerated by the blast, but this can be one last thing that as a weakened party might be trying to take this thing down. Even if they kill it, they're in a lot of danger as it blows up in their faces and possibly kills some of them if they're not too careful. Now, I did give the hint of one other devil in our episode for Podcast of Foes, and that was Zeriel, who is in the book. I was so excited, but I knew this type of enemy, there's no chance the party survives if she gets to them. The one thing I did want to give them a taste of, though, is how powerful she was, with essentially fireballs raining down around her as she can cast them at will, and then her fly speed of 150 feet. I actually wound up doing the math on this a little bit, and if she dashed, and every legendary action that she used, if she decided to do a teleport, since technically each party member was going... She could cover a mile in eight rounds. In less than a minute, she can be moving a mile. That is a terrifying thought to have an angelic type figure, but with fiery wings and weapons and eyes flying straight for you. Also, I figured it'd be an encouragement for them to get out of Avernus as quickly as possible. Now, on top of the devils, they have Duragar, they have Drow, they have Elementals. They've got, like I said, the Gith and other such monstrosities, but the final creature that I'm going to mention that I used for the podcast of foes was one that I thought would just be really fun to RP as an NPC in the podcast, and the gif are really cool to me. Lawful neutral hippo people, also with muskets, or boomsticks as Nyx wanted to call them during the episode. They're the ones that have the fragmentation grenades, a pistol, a musket. They're essentially a space-faring hippo people who have guns. It was utter ridiculousness and i thought the party would get a real kick out of this guy so palm was featured within podcast of foes and sure enough the party loved him and they really really hope i play more gif in season two now honestly i could probably go on for hours talking about all of the different monsters in podcast of foes the shadar kai eladrin are featured monstrosities yugoloths devils demons there are just so many that are in here it's half the book Half of the book are monsters, and I am so excited to use so many of these, and, and I'm so excited that we were a part of Podcast of Foes, and we were able to feature them 
And honestly, if you're one to love lore on different races, love the lore of Dungeons and Dragons in general, and want to read more about it or how they might have updated it for fifth edition, this is a book you should get. I actually have become more fascinated with elves while reading this book. I have a deeper appreciation on dwarves, one race that that I don't tend to play a lot. And it really delves into their mentality and the mentality of all of these different races. And I really like that type of reading. Now, as you delve into the races, it really fills out the world. If you can take these and incorporate them and you can get a real sense of not only, you know, an evil creature being evil, but why did they go into this way? Demons are just chaotic. They're evil, but they do have motivations behind that. Devils are intelligent, cunning, evil, yes, but they're trying to gain power. It's a great book to read if you're looking to really delve into lore, really flesh out your world with a bunch of different monsters that are monsters. They are foes and enemies, but they also have history. They have personality. They have character that this book can really help you flesh out and pull from the lore that is in Dungeons and Dragons and what's been updated and give it to your players. Also, you can let them play Shadarkai, Eladrin, Githyanki, or Githzerai, which is really, really cool to me. I love these extra planar races. They're awesome. Anyways, that's where I'm going to wrap it up for here. Honestly, I I love this book. I need to read more of it. I haven't even gotten through all of it yet. I've mostly skimmed a lot of it to get ready for Podcast of Foes, but just jumping in, reading everything that I can on this book that I think is absolutely amazing, and I really encourage you guys to go get as a supplement to help flesh out your world. Similar to Volo's Guide, where it helps to build upon the monsters that exist, how Volo's Guide focused on orcs, hags, mind flares, goblinoids, yuan-ti, kobolds, and the like, this really helps to give you a sense of what life is like for devils, demons, githyanki, how the dwarves came to be the way that they are, how the elves see their deities and split, and what caused them to split. It's just an amazing book on lore, and has an amazing set of monsters for you to use, and I can't encourage enough for you to check this book out. Thank you for joining me on another review from D&D Raw. Now don't forget, you can find our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Please feel free to leave a comment, a review. We love getting feedback. You can also email me directly at dm at dndraw.com or check out our Twitter at Rules as Written or even visit our website dndraw.com. Now we should be releasing more lore and bridging the gap soon between the events of Orenthal and our Season 2. But for now, I just hope to see you next time in the world of Ostia.